<clears throat> Welcome back to another episode of the Fab Lab Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Crowley. So glad to be tuning in with you, fellow fabricators, ladies and gentlemen, fabricators from across the fruited plain. <laughs> this 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 marks an important milestone here in the Fab Lab Podcast. Um, apart from the update episode that I recorded last week, which was the first episode I've recorded in exactly one year from the last episode that was recorded. Uh, and last week I mentioned uh, a development that had occurred, an event that had occurred in uh, the business, in the stone shop, and that I was going to share that in the next episode, which is this episode, episode 116. If you've read the title, you know what the topic is. I sold my stone shop. Wow. And uh, this is really the first episode that I will have recorded as a non-stone shop owner. Now, I'm still calling myself a fellow fabricator. Ladies and gentlemen, um, fellow fabricators, I, I, I was thinking about this this odd sensation that uh, it, it's a little bit different now recording these episodes because up to this point, there was that relatability. There was that shared experience. Uh, the fact that I owned a stone shop just like you and uh, could could relate to the experiences and the challenges and the you know the the ups and downs of that um, at least in my mind was really significant and actually that's something that I, I've wrestled with quite a bit as it relates to picking back up and restarting the Fab Lab podcast now that I don't have a stone shop is it going to be relevant you know is there still relatable experience worth sharing. I absolutely think there is. So while I may not be a stone shop owner anymore, I'm still a fabricator. I was thinking of a gentleman. His name was Kelvin Wynn way back in probably 1994, 1995. We installed together, and he was a Vietnamese immigrant. He had actually escaped Vietnam in the 70s. Amazing story. He had come to the U.S., uh, had been picked up at sea by a Navy ship and came back to Seattle, moved to Portland. He was one of the first 20 employees that the Nike Corporation, if you know Nike's history, they started here in Oregon, uh, down in Eugene. He was one of the first 20 employees at Nike. Interesting story, but he loved fabricating. He didn't need to work, but he loved to fabricate it, and we, and we worked at the same shop. And I remember he, he loved stone fabrication and he used to tell me and I won't be able to do the accent right but he said Aaron <laughs> Aaron <laughs> that's a terrible terrible accent if you cut my if you cut my wrist slurry come out not blood he he I'll never forget that idea that he just that was his identity it wasn't that he had done very well as an employee with Nike when they went public it was that he he was a he was a stone cutter and he saw himself as a stonecutter, and he loved it. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I, I see myself the same way. I went to work in a stone shop at age 17. I was doing the math on this. I spent 28 years of my 45 years on this earth up to the point where I sold my shop going into a stone shop. I did the math. 62% of my entire life was spent going in and either fabricating, cutting, sweeping the floor, selling, templating, moving slabs, helping on install, you know, whatever it is, 20, almost 23 of those years as the owner of my own company. And so, so this, it's this odd sensation as I, uh, as I continue the Fab Lab podcast, as I share this news with you, <laughs> I just got to admit, it's a little odd. Uh, I kind of feel like a fish out of water. I went to an event. I got asked to speak at an event here a few months ago at a stone industry event whole bunch of stone shop owners that I'd known for years, most of them, or at least many of them. And it was not that anybody 
made me feel this way, but the sensation that I'm kind of an outsider now, at least from my perspective, that even though I had 23 years of running my own shop, the fact that I don't own a shop right now, it, it does change things to a certain degree. But in a lot of ways, it changes things in a very positive way as it relates to the Fab Lab podcast. And I'm going to get into that in today's episode. I want to not just tell you that I sold my stone shop. I think it's really important. The relevance to you, fellow fabricator, stone shop owner, uh, is significant. Like I mentioned last week in my update podcast, the the significance is is real. And I think the, the it's relevant why I made the decision. Um, and next couple episodes, I'll get into kind of how that unfolded, how it worked, and uh, really what I learned through that process. I learned a lot. Well, my goodness. Um, but in this episode, I want to tell you why. What what was it um, that led me to make that decision? You know, it's really interesting. I, just like 10 minutes ago, I was out in the front with a, a friend of mine. He dropped a trailer off out here at our property, and he's um, he's getting ready to make a major career change. He owns an insurance agency, and he's thinking about changing. And we got to talking about the 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 this paradox when you've done something a long time and you're relatively successful at it and it's working and it doesn't really require you to work that hard you'd think that's the dream <laughs> and yet at the same time there's this this sort of icky sense that it's 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 i need a new challenge i need to do something different <laughs> uh it, it it's too secure it's too stable um and and I won't say that that was the motivation, but that was definitely real. There was a complacency, despite the intention, despite the the goals that we had. It, it was just it was comfortable. It was really comfortable. And what I'm experiencing now, outside of that, there there was a point at which it kind of dawned on me: What am I doing? I'm leaving this very well paying job, very secure position. I really don't have to work that hard. Is it stressful? Sure. But it was kind of the dream, and yet on the other side of that now, the lack of security, the sense of discomfort, and I'll tell you, <laughs> I'm in the middle of something right now that is the the antithesis of comfortable. I'm in a whole new ball game. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have 23 years of experience under my belt. I got six months, and I'm in a situation where I'm responsible for things that I have no basis. I have no firsthand experience knowing how to solve, and so it's extremely uncomfortable. But in the middle of that, it's extremely good. And so I want to I tell you three I think the most significant reasons, kind of the driving, the, the, the conscious, there were probably other subconscious motivations going on, swirling around in this decision. But there are three distinct reasons why, uh, strategically, if you, would, if you, if you say, but, but, but very clearly, um, not escape, not running away, not boredom. But there were three, three things I was running to. And uh, not necessarily in any particular order, but in in in, I guess chronological order, which you know, uh, I'll, I'll share them in that order. You know, which one really began as a motivation the 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 the, the soonest, and then I'll kind of work back from there. So, number one, why did I sell my stone shop? I think one of the most significant reasons was that I had this dream of working from home. I, I can't explain it. I can trace it back to where 
uh, it began, I know in 2007, I read a book, it was a great book, kind of on the historical norms of, you know, prior to the Industrial Revolution, uh, for like 5,000 years of recorded history, families worked together. And th- th- there would typically be generations. It was mostly agricultural, but there were trades you know, th- th- that worked like this as well. But for most of recorded history, up until the Industrial Revolutions, families lived on the same property. Generations oftentimes lived in the same house. Generations were oftentimes engaged in the same work, the work that the family undertook, whatever that was. And you'd have grandparents and, and then children and then grandkids and in some cases great-grandkids all engaged in this, what, what the book kind of referred to as a family enterprise. At the time, this 2007, we were, I mean, I that nothing really changed for me other than something stirred in me. 15 years ago in 2007 when I read that, and it just really never went away. And then probably another seven years later, 2014, it was it was stirred again, but much more dramatically. And that's really the point at which it began to, um, I couldn't escape it. There was just this longing to work from home. I, we had, you know, we've got six kids and my wife homeschools our kids and, and we live out on property and, and just over time this desire grew and, and it grew and it grew and it became more and more of this desire and um, and so that just never relented and there was a point about five years ago we, out here on the property we decided to build a new house and my wife and I designed it from scratch, used up about a pad of graph paper and I even five years ago before it was it was evident how I would ever work from home probably wasn't even anything I was really even talking about or or was to the point of uh, believing that it was possible but it was a desire and I and I designed an office into this home that we built and this is cool I'm in that office right now recording this podcast at the office I now work from full time from home and, and 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 so there was a realization probably in the last year or so, year or two, and I was already working from home at least once, you know, once a week, one day a week. I was trying to incrementally move. I think I had in my my goals that, you know, like by the end of twenty twenty two, I wanted to be working from home seventy five percent of the time. And um, our shop's about forty. Well, the the shop uh, is about forty five minutes from where we live, and I I think there was. Even though my desire was to work from home, there was a realization that to, to really work from home was going to be hard. You, you got to be on site. You just, you got to be there. You got to be in the office. You got to be in the shop. You got to be on site. You got to be there meeting with the customers. It just, it's, it would be very hard, at least in terms of the business that I'd built, to run it largely from home. And so that became a, just a reality that to realize that dream means I'm going to have to somehow not own a stone shop. And so that was working in the background. That was definitely a very clear, very, very strong motivation. The second reason that I made the decision to sell my shop, and again, in the next episode or two, I will tell you how this all happened, and, and hopefully you will find great value in that. I, I learned so much. If I could do it again, I would do it differently. There would be things that I would do better. But the other, the second reason is uh, as, as you may or may not know, depending on how long you've listened to the Fab Lab podcast, I started another company. Uh, we incorporated it in the end of 2015 called No Lift Install System, piece of equipment we developed in our shop to help our own installers who, you know, we've been wearing out for years, you know, wearing out 
time and time again, we'd have guys get to the point where they just couldn't do the work anymore and they'd quit and go do something else or whatever. So we developed that and launched that company and patented the product. And then that business started to take off. And a couple of things happened. Um, I mean, we were running that business out of our stone shop. We had a big, big shop that we owned and uh, we had some space in that and that that allowed no lift to develop and grow and do the manufacturing and the assembly and but it grew to the point where we we literally could not it just it was bursting at the seams we couldn't we, we just didn't have the space that we needed to really make that thing work and it was it was becoming evident that no lift was probably going to eclipse in terms of sales and and uh, you know, sales volume, it was going to eclipse my business last year in 2021. And in fact, it did, ironically. So we had begun looking at some some equipment that we needed to buy, a, a pretty sophisticated robotic welder. And that was, it was like, we have to invest in this equipment. But there was just, there was no room in our shop to put that in there. We were already bursting at the seams. And so we made the decision, look, to put this piece of equipment in, we have to, we got to move. Space being what it is in Portland, you know, from an industrial standpoint, um, the best place we could find was 55 minutes from my shop. So it was like this triangle from where I lived. My countertop shop was about 45 minutes. Where we moved no lift was also about 45 minutes from my house, but between each other was about 55 minutes. They were almost an hour away. So we had that decision. We moved the bidding. So now I I could no longer be present in both businesses simultaneously. It's like if I had to deal with that, I had to drive an hour to go be in the shop. Well, the other dynamic that was going on at No Lift was that not only had we invested in this piece of equipment and the business was growing, um, there was a point in, oh, probably late 2020 where my business partner, who happens to also be my uncle, Roger Crowley, uh, kind of, oh, by the way, mentioned I'm retiring at the end of the year. And I, it's like, uh, what? Um, hold on a second. We just we just signed the lease on this building. We're putting this piece of equipment in. Uh, the shop's now an hour and away, and you're going to retire. Okay. So that, in and of itself, from a practical standpoint, it became, that was really the point in which it was like, okay, I think I'm going to have to make a choice here. I just don't know that it's practical. The scope and scale of what I consider to be the need the industry has for the no lift, for a, an industry-wide shift and mindset around lifting and carrying and picking up 3CM granite countertops. I might get into that some other time. And my passion for that and the reality of running the stone shop and the fact that they were an hour away from each other, it began to dawn on me pretty quickly. I'm not going to be able to do both of those well. I had been able to do it to a certain degree because they were both in the same building, but under those circumstances, without the the benefit of my business partner running the operation, it was just it was it was increasingly clear that I could not do both. And if I attempted to do both, both would not realize their potential. That was really it. Just it was it wasn't even a question in my mind. Could I? keep them hobbling along and could I keep them alive up probably maybe possibly probably but would either of them thrive and ultimately reach their potential and the conclusion that I made maybe I didn't dream big enough maybe I didn't believe in myself enough but but I came to a pretty sober-minded objective conclusion (laughs) my skill sets my gifts uh, my talents uh, my limitations were such that 
that excelling in both of those roles was just not likely to happen. And to attempt to do so would have made working from home even less likely. And so that was probably the point, the, the, the move of no lift, the retirement of my business partner and my uncle and the realization that I can't do both of these. Well, I'm going to have to choose. Oh, so now what do I choose? What is the decision going to be? And, and so I'll maybe from that point, move into my third motivation. The, the Fab Lab podcast, the speaking that I've done over the years in the industry, uh, I wrote a book on small business management. I wrote over 70 articles in the stone industry in printed trade publications, Stone Industry News, Stone Business Magazine, the Slippery Rock Gazette. Um, oh, what's the ISFA? Architectural Countertop, I think is the name of that magazine. I wrote over 70 articles. And, and I look back and I saw this theme. There's... Uh, there is something there that I am inclined as an individual, my kind of wiring, if you will, sort of leads me uh, to communicate. I, I, there's a need. I heard it put like this, you know, why does a bird sing? It, there's no real practical benefit from that. It's just, it's what it's got to do. It's what it was made to do. And as I assessed this and I assessed what has developed over the Fab Lab podcast, the, the, the couple of years that I've done this, I began to realize again that, that while I was doing the podcast, running my countertop shop, also running Fabricator's Friend, another business that I started here in the stone industry, and, and trying to get No Lift launched and introduced to the industry and begin that, that process of, of um, an evolution, if you will, in terms of the way the industry thinks about lifting countertops. I was also getting opportunities to coach people and people were coming to me. Hey, I read your book. Hey, I listened to your podcast. Hey, is there any way you can help me? And, and I had gotten myself so busy that there were instances where I had scheduled coaching calls that I forgot about. I just had so many things going on that I couldn't, I couldn't do that well. And, and the interesting thing I heard Tony Robbins mentioned this and I think it was a YouTube ad for some program he's selling right now. And I've, I've, you know, ultimate, uh, unlimited power, uh, his, his book, um, unleash the power within, um, I'm, I'm listening to a course right now by Tony Robbins called, uh, uh, mastering influence. I mean, I'm, I've, I've benefited greatly from Tony Robbins, but this ad on YouTube, he, just literally a couple of days ago, he was talking about the difference, uh, in, in athletics. And oftentimes, the athletes on the court or on the field are much better athletes than the coach that's coaching them at that, you know, uh, sport. And, and, and that there's a reason why the coach is on the sidelines observing. And there's a reason why the coach isn't on the field. You can't coach and play at the same time. It just, it, it just doesn't work. It maybe it's a law of nature. It's a law of the universe. I don't know, but I think there's a parallel there that this, Again, kind of a choice, the desire, the inclination, the leaning towards communicating and, and sharing what I've learned over the last 23 years in business and 28 years in the business, in the industry at least. This, this, I just, I gotta, if I'm not writing, I'm speaking. If I'm not doing that, I'm on the podcast. And that seems to be giving me opportunities to, to share what I've learned with other stone shop owners. And I just really, I, I felt, um, I won't say an obligation, if you will, but that there was a desire to, to sh if there was the opportunity to positively impact another owner who needed help, 
I wanted, I needed to have the time and the space and the mental capacity to be able to do that well. And what I was finding was that I had so many obligations <laughs> stretched between all of those things, I couldn't do it well. And, and so that began to dawn on me that, wow, there is a, there's a huge need and a huge opportunity to align my gifts and my experiences and my skills with others who who may benefit from them. And so, again, it was this choice. Can I do both? Can I actually be on the court and coach the team at the same time? Kind of, maybe. Is it going to be sustainable? Is it going to be excellent? No. And that was really the third motivation. And, and not that not that that necessarily played like it was so conscious that it was, it was uh, strategic that I want to develop this coaching practice and I want to make the Fab Lab podcast a standalone entity, an income stream. And so to do that, I've got to make this calculation and I'm going to assess the options and the opportunities. And well... By comparing the number, you know, it, it wasn't like that, it, but it was it was more just the realization that, that that's where I was leaning, that's what I wanted to do, and something had to give. I just couldn't do it all, and I definitely couldn't do all that and still work from home, and so it maybe began to look like this. I began to see things like, what could I do if I didn't have the responsibility of the stone shop? And the more that I contemplated that reality, that picture, that image in my mind of what life would look like if I didn't own the stone shop, I could work from home coaching my sales team, <laughs> or I should say I could decide, I could uh, find myself figuring out that I really don't know how to coach a sales team, and I'll have the opportunity to learn in an extremely uncomfortable environment how to do that. But I could do that from home because all of our sales reps were remote. And I could be at home like I want to, and it would also afford me the opportunity to lean back into the podcast with more time, more opportunity to prepare, more opportunity to coach those that are looking for that kind of a resource in their business, looking for that kind of growth and development. And uh, it's like, wow, the possibilities. Look at this. And my wife and I talked about it, and uh, and then it became... You know, it's this, it's this interesting process of change. You know, it starts as a as a thought, perhaps, and then it's like, eh, it's, you know, oftentimes I think we shoot those thoughts down as being impractical or, man, that just seems like so overwhelming. What would that look like? What would that take? I don't even know where to begin. And then you might actually bring yourself to write it down and say, and I did, in, and I may have mentioned this in previous podcasts if you've listened to it probably would have been somewhere between episode 100 and 114. Some, I think it was talking about how to get what you want, how to know what you want and get it, something like that. I don't remember what episode that was. It's been a year since I've, I've, I've recorded a podcast like this. But at one point in the fall and then again in the, I think it was the fall of 2020, I had written down that I wanted to sell my countertop shop. And I think that's significant. For whatever reason, I don't understand how that impacts our subconscious and, and how it allows the mind to begin to work on these problems, even when we're not necessarily thinking about them. I don't, I'm not a psychologist. I don't necessarily understand why that works or how it works. I do believe that it, it does play a role, though. And so at one point, I'd written that down. I'm going, I want to sell the countertop shop, which was significant. That's all I've ever done. And then 
Well, I won't get into that. I, I, I don't want to start that conversation because how it happened was pretty cool. And I don't think that it was unrelated, even though it wasn't super strategic and super well planned out. Because of all of this background, I was ready when the opportunity presented itself. And I wonder, perhaps the opportunity may have presented itself and I would have missed it had I not had that background preparation, had I not been thinking about it, had I not written it down, had I not been, had I not been verbalizing it, actually saying out loud, not, I mean, I wasn't saying that to my employees, of course, that it, it set the stage and helped me to essentially recognize the opportunity when it was presented. And so in that respect, um, when the, when, when it, it, it happened, and I'll get into that in the next episode, how that happened and, and, and how that process unfolded in terms of what did it look like to actually sell a stone shop. It was a fascinating, and it was <laughs> 10 times more difficult and stressful than I would have ever imagined it to be. Um, and I can say that now looking back, you know, on the other side with six months of, of, uh, opportunity to kind of reflect on that experience uh but ladies and gentlemen fellow fabricators um stone shop owners across the fruited plain i i wanted you to know that um i still consider myself a fabricator i'm a fabricator at heart 62 percent of my entire life has been spent in or around a stone shop like my buddy kelvin win if you were to cut my wrist granite slurry would come out <laughs> <laughs> there might be hopefully there'd be a little blood in there um it's just it's in my veins it's in my blood um it it it's who i am and so ladies and gentlemen fellow fabricators i just want you to know that if you were to summarize all three of these reasons why i sold my stone shop and why now i i the I feel like it is a, an appropriate i feel like it is a healthy i feel like it is a a necessary distancing while it feels uh, I, I'm saddened by the fact that I, now I'm kind of like by myself now. I'm like this loner <laughs> podcaster cart salesman who no longer has that shared experience of owning a stone shop. And so when we interact, I still got to think through that. And, and um, but I think that it it prepares me and enable maybe enables me. The preparation was the 28 years in the industry, 23 of them. In business for myself, owning a countertop shop uh, and, and, and having had multiple phenomenal coaches along the way. I think that was the preparation that being detached from is, is what enables me to now really leverage that for maximum impact. Um, and, and so I look at these things and there's a theme here. I look at this, you know, um, I, I like to think that being around will be a, 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 a at the end of the day, a plus for my family. <laughs> there may be days when they won't agree, um, but I got time to hopefully work on that. And so it's impact. I want to be around. I, man, running my stone shop the first 10 years, I, I was so consumed with success that I missed a good chunk of my older three kids is growing up because I just worked all the time. Well, I we ended up having three more kids, <laughs> ironically. Uh, and so I get a do-over, if you will. I, I get an opportunity now to, to be engaged at a level I never was engaged in with our older kids. And so um, it's impact, the opportunity to be present and to impact their lives in a way that I missed the first time around. The second thing with no lift, I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, every day that that goes by, 
I'd made enough countertops. This is something I knew. It's like, am I going to get to the end of my life if I sell the stone shop and look back and go, wow, I regret that. I really regret that I didn't stay in the countertop business and make more granite or quartz countertops. I was pretty sure I was not going to have that regret. In fact, I had probably got to the point where it was like, I really don't want to make another countertop. I've seen enough. <laughs> I've, uh, I've seen enough of these things. I don't need to see anymore. I think I can, I can check that box and say I have, I have manufactured and installed enough countertops and I can move on to something else. But you know what? I knew I was going to regret if I didn't put all my focus or at least most of my focus into the issue, what I consider to be, if not the, it's the second biggest problem facing the stone industry today. And ladies and gentlemen, fellow fabricators, I know this from firsthand experience. I wore out more installers working for me in 23 years than I can even remember. I still to this day make routine trips to the chiropractor because of the installing that I did 20 plus years ago, putting 3CM countertops in day after day after day after day after day after day. And I haven't installed in years, yet the abuse and the impact that that abuse had on my body does continue to this day. And it continues for thousands and thousands and thousands. This is not intended to be a guilt trip. Um, but I knew that if I didn't do something with that knowledge, realizing, my gosh, what is this doing to the installers of our industry? If I didn't do something with that, I would regret that missed opportunity to impact the industry. And my goal, you know, with no lift is not to sell things. Um, that to me is incidental. That's the, the afterthought for me. The real goal, the real opportunity, the real push is to help the industry see, to help installers themselves see. It just, there's nothing beneficial about destroying your physical health in the interest of getting a countertop in when eventually you're going to get to the point where your body physically cannot do the skill that you have acquired and you will be forced physically <laughs> into finding another career. That's not. That ain't good business. That ain't good business at all. The industry can't afford to have a drain on installers. Most of the most of the fabricators we talk to can't find them, and it's like we got to stop wearing them out. We got to stop using them up and spitting them out with the the, the the subconscious thought that I'll just find another one when this one's wore out. We'll, we'll just replace them. Ladies and gentlemen, fellow fabricators, I literally sold my stone shop so that I could pursue that mindset and and hopefully communicate effectively enough to the industry by any and all means necessary that uh, that's got to change in the way we're talking about this in the company. Um, for those of you who have entered the fabrication stone fabrication industry after 1992, I started in 1993, granite was polished with sandpaper, silicon carbide, typically stuff that the, the, the sandpaper that they used in the automotive, uh, you know, auto body detailing. It was all done dry. And then they polished granite with what was called aluminum oxide and a lead wheel. It was the only way to get the shine. You didn't have alpha buffers back then. You didn't have wet pads. And it's interesting. You mention that to people now who entered the industry even 20 years ago, and, and they're like, what? People, people polished granite with sandpaper? That's, I don't remember that. 
And it's like, I barely do. I went to work in the shop, the shop in 1993, and they were just making that transition where the guys in the shop were still grumbling about being soaking wet all day <laughs> and longing for the days when they could use sandpaper and at least they'd be warm and dry. They'd be dusty using those chemicals, silica, uh, lead wheel and aluminum oxide to get the shine up, to buff that absolute black. That was all the rage back then in the early 90s. So how does that relate to no-lift? Well, here's my dream. Here's my focus. Here's my passion. Here's why I sold my stone shop. I want to focus on making such a massive shift in the mentality of the stone industry. And I'm talking about the entire industry from the companies that are importing the slabs, distributing the slabs to the companies that are selling the equipment to fabricate the countertops to the businesses that are doing that fabrication and the installations all the way down to the installers themselves so that the mentality shifts so completely that eventually there will be new installers and new employees in the stone industry that will enter the business and they will they will go what people used to lift this stuff you gotta be kidding me that's madness I can't imagine anybody wanting to pick this stuff up. That's my passion. That's my focus, ladies and gentlemen. That's why I sold my stone shop so I could, I could pursue that more single-mindedly because I think it's that important. I really honestly do. And it's not just because we happen to have a device that allows people to do that. It's, it's part of it. That, but, but that's the, that's secondary to the mindset, the, moving the industry to the point where the industry believes it's a bad idea to pick up countertops when there's an alternative because it does no good for the installer who's picking them up. So ladies and gentlemen, um, fellow fabricators, impact. I want to impact my family. I want to impact the industry as it relates to the damage done by lifting 3CM countertops. And I want to impact the businesses in this industry. You know, my focus of the Fab Lab podcast, the focus of all my articles, the focus of my book, Less Chaos, More Cash, all of it is all oriented around a single philosophy, the philosophy that allows an owner to transition out of that firefighting stage where they are perpetually and always under stress, always solving problems, always frantically running around trying to keep the thing together, to move to a, a place of leadership and delegation where they organize the business they calm the business down by communicating effectively and delegating expectations effectively, so effectively so that the owner doesn't have to be on site at all times to enable the company to fulfill the promise that it makes. I just believe so many owners. I know it's not even that I believe it. I talk to them all the time because they contact me from the Fab Lab podcast. They're burnout. They're fried. They're run ragged. They don't have time for their family because they're working so hard trying to keep everything together. And there is, uh, there is another side. There is an opportunity. The skill and discipline of, of leadership and delegation can transform that experience, can make companies more profitable with less work and less stress and less risk to the business and the owners. And I just, I just have a passion for that. I feel like I, I, I was fortunate to have been coached through that and into that knowledge. I put it into practice over and over again. Ironically, I find myself now, in a sense, starting over, doing and, and implementing the very things I've talked about here on the Fab Lab podcast in NoLift. As this company grows and scales and we add staff and it expands, it's like, it doesn't, the business the industry, the type of company 
doesn't matter. Those principles to, to, to effectively and consistently deliver on the promise that you make, you have to impl- implement those principles for it to be successful. And so here I am at ground level starting over with a new company, and I am applying in, in daily practice the very things I've talked about on the Fab Lab podcast here for the last couple of years. I'm putting them back into practice yet again. <laughs> no lift install system. And it's great because it proves over and over again that it works, that it can work. And it doesn't matter what department it is. It doesn't matter what industry it is. It works, and um, and it allows the business to scale and be successful. So, ladies and gentlemen, fellow fabricators, I'm so glad to be back on the Fab Lab podcast here in my home office living this dream, recording this episode behind the Fab Lab podcast microphone, sharing with you the things that I've learned. Next couple of episodes, like I said, going to talk about how. How did this come about and how did it look? How did it unfold? How did the process of selling my company, how was that to experience? And I'm going to share that with you in detail in the very next episode. The episode after that, I'll probably continue that conversation, probably talk about what I learned, um, I've already I've already been asked to speak on this. I even did a webinar on this topic, and I think I'll probably record an episode on this as well. I called it the psychology of selling out. There is the how. There are the mechanics of you know getting evaluation and negotiating with a buyer, and 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 the process of notifying the crew and, and that transition of handing the business off you know to a new owner. I mean that's the how. That that's that's the mechanics. But I got to tell you, the psychological, the emotional roller coaster that that was for me um, was something I did not anticipate. And and in the process of looking back, it's like, wow, I learned so much. I wish I would have understood more what I was entering into. Would have would have helped make that six month long transaction a lot less stressful. And so I'll probably share that with you in the episode after the next one, where I talk about how I sold the stone shop. And so, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you tune in next week. I got so many, I got so many interviews lined up um, that I don't know how I may have to do an extra, an extra episode a week to put these interviews out because um, there's just, there's so much opportunity. There's so much in store. So ladies and gentlemen, I hope you will tune in next week for another episode of the Fab Lab podcast. You can also check out my YouTube channel. The Fab Lab Podcast YouTube channel. These episodes now are going to be videoed in addition to being recorded on audio, and you can go watch them there. You can also visit my website, AaronCrowley.com. You can engage with me. You can reach out to me. You can download the first three chapters of my book, Less Chaos, More Cash, for free. And if you ever want to reach out and touch base, if you've got a problem, you've got a challenge, you've got an opportunity you'd like to talk about in your stone shop, go to AaronCrowley.com, reach out to me, and I would love to hear from you. So, ladies and gentlemen, fellow fabricators, Well, I'll check back with you next week, and until then, happy fabricating.